Well, thanks, David. It's good to see all of you here today. Glad you come to worship. Acts 9. Today we're going to consider how a man named Saul went from being an enemy of Jesus to being a disciple of Jesus. And his name is, his Jewish name was Saul. His Roman name is Paul. He would become the Apostle Paul. And his conversion is one of the most consequential in the whole history of the church. And one of the main features of this account, you may have noticed it, is that Jesus himself is driving the action in this account. Jesus is driving the action. Uh, Saul didn't volunteer. Uh, Jesus blinded him. Jesus sent somebody to talk with him about Jesus. When he believed, Jesus filled him with the Holy Spirit and gave him an assignment. And so by the end of this passage, Saul has this this rock-solid, lifelong commitment. I'm a disciple because Jesus wanted me to be his disciple. It was no accident. This is a calling, and I have an assignment. And Saul's circumstances, of course, were unique, but the elements of his experience are common to every disciple of Jesus. It turns out that Jesus still turns his enemies into disciples. And this passage has made me think about my own story just an incredible amount over this past week. And I'm going to encourage you, as we work our way through this passage, to think about your journey and if, how you've seen these things at play in your life or not. Saul's experience will actually help us identify where we are along the path of discipleship. And some of us are disciples, others of us are not. And when I say disciple, I'm talking about someone who is, is uh, so loyal to Jesus. They say, I want to learn from Jesus how to live my life the way he lived his life. So you're a learner, you're a student, you're an apprentice of Jesus. And so consider the possibility that Jesus is doing in your life what he did in Saul's life. And Jesus is actually driving the action in your life. Things that may have seemed like a coincidence or that just happened to me randomly, consider the possibility that Jesus is pursuing you. You see three things in this passage. First of all, Jesus confronts our blindness. We were introduced in uh, chapter 8 to Saul. He was a young man, and he was in hearty agreement when the disciple named Stephen was stoned to death. And we read also that Saul was ravishing the church. He was imprisoning Christians with a view toward convicting them of blasphemy and, if necessary, executing them. So we pick up the narrative in in 9-1. But Saul, he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found if he found any belonging to the way, that's the way they were, one way they referred to Christianity, the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In John sixteen two, Jesus had told his disciples ahead of time. He said, "An hour is coming when people will kill you, thinking that they are offering service to God." Saul was that guy. He really believed that he was doing the will of God by hunting down Christians, imprisoning them, and executing them. 
in a, a very literal sense, saw one and to undo what Jesus was doing. What was Jesus doing? Well, he had these witnesses. And he told them, you're going to, these disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that's what had happened. This, these witnesses had been scattered. They'd gone all the way to Damascus, 135 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And what did Saul want to do? He wanted to find those disciples and bring them back to Jerusalem. He wanted to stop the spread of this message about Jesus. He wanted to squelch this movement of the way people following Jesus. But Jesus had other plans. Read in verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You notice he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because it was a light from heaven, Saul had this, this instinctual understanding. This is an encounter with God. He, he was, it, knocked him, it knocked him to the ground. And he heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He instinctively understood this is, this is God, in some sense, talking, talking to him. I mean, what other options were there? And so he replies, verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That answer from Jesus, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, it just changed his life forever. Turns out, who are you, Lord? He said, well, turns out Jesus is Lord. And it turns out Jesus is so identified with his people that if you persecute them, you are persecuting him. And so this just radically changed Saul's whole understanding of who God was. Thinking he had been doing the will of God, he was actually persecuting the son of God who had become uh, God the man. And Jesus gave him a very simple instruction in verse 6, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Saul is not a man who was used to being told things. He was going to Damascus to tell other people what to do. But Jesus said, go, go, and you will be told what you are to do. Verse 7 is interesting, but men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. And so they didn't see Jesus. Numerous other times, you see it down in verse uh, 27, Saul says that he had seen the Lord. Then he referred to that numerous times. But these other companions who were with him, they didn't see the Lord the way he did. They heard the sound, they heard the voice, but they didn't see him. So this appearance was directly for Saul. Remember, Jesus is, is, is revealing himself, who he is, to Saul. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And so he started this journey proud, breathing murderous threats against the way Jesus' disciples. But this, with this encounter, because of this encounter with Jesus, he was left sightless and humbled. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Again, it was just instinctively went on this, this total fast, no food or drink. And so his physical blindness mirrored his spiritual blindness. 
And Saul is not one who thought he was spiritually blind in any way. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, we learn from Philippians 3. And so he knew the Bible as well or better than anybody. And so he studied the Bible. He was a Bible scholar. He knew all all these facts about Jesus. But when Jesus showed up in the flesh, in a body, he didn't recognize him. He had no idea who he was. He wanted to persecute his followers. And so as an act of mercy, Jesus confronted his spiritual, blind, his spiritual blindness. And this is what God does. And of course, not everybody gets a Christophany, right? Not everybody gets this glorious vision of, of Jesus from heaven. And not everybody starts out being violently hostile toward Jesus and his followers. <clears throat> but we all enter this world in spiritual blindness. We all sin by nature and by choice. There's a sense in which we are all enemies of Christ. And if we let him, Jesus, in his mercy, he confronts our spiritual blindness. I remember a a baptism 25, about 25 years ago, uh, we weren't in this building. We didn't even, we didn't have a baptistry. We would borrow different churches and uh, people would come up one at a time and tell their story. And I remember this little kid, he was probably six, five, six or eight years old, and he stood up before he got baptized, and his, his opening remark was something to the effect of, before I knew Jesus, I lived a life of sin. <laughs> we, were all, we were laughing, we were like, that's very cute, you know, that's, that's a nice thing to say. But it was true, it was true. His, his sinfulness was bounded by his age and opportunity. Some of you know this, you can't sin when you're five the way you can sin when you're 15 or 25 or 45, but it was true. He was just saying, I was blind, but now I see. And, and I've thought so much about my own story this week, and I've thought about my own spiritual blindness. I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you this, but this, this, is, this is actually true. When I was in high school, we had a Sunday school teacher. He gave us a copy of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is C.S. Lewis's. It's the, space, it's the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, spoiler alert, the hero in the book is a lion, his name is Aslan, and uh, he ends up sacrificing his life, being willing. He was sacrificed because there was this little boy, he was a liar and a traitor, and Jesus really sacrificed himself on his behalf so he could be set free. So the lion is killed on an altar, and the next morning he comes back to life. And I read that book, that entire book, and I went to that Sunday school class, and it wasn't until I heard other people talking about it that it ever occurred to me, that's Jesus. <laughs> that's what Jesus did. He was sacrificed. He rose again from the dead. I mean, it was like the people Jesus told parables to, and they had no idea what he was talking about. It concealed things from them. That was me. And over the years, I, I, my, my spiritual blindness became more and more obvious to where I just had to have the remedy. I just had to have my eyes opened by Jesus. And so Jesus confronts our spiritual blindness and therefore our sinfulness as an act of mercy. And so I want to ask you straight up, have you ever in your life come to the place where you have realized and you just flat out admit it, I'm blind, I am spiritually blind. I I don't know God, I don't know who he is. Uh, another term that the scripture uses to, to describe this condition is 
lost. And when you're lost, not an insult. If you're lost, that's not an insult. It just means you're, you're not where you should be, and you can't get to where you, you should be. You need somebody to find you, and, and you need help. And so if you've never been to that place, understand that Jesus wants to reveal to you your spiritual blindness, your lostness, that you are dead in sin. And every single one of us needs to get to the place where we realize, oh, I don't need, I don't just need a little help. I don't need an advisor. I don't need a consultant. I need a savior. I need somebody to open my eyes, show me the truth. I need somebody to remove my sin, give me new life, and lead me, lead me into the future. And so, uh, if you let him, Jesus will, will do this for you. And this is kind of a humbling diagnosis to get. But what good doctors do is they're honest with you. And the good news here is there is a remedy, and it's Jesus. He has sacrificed everything because of our spiritual blindness. So he reveals our spiritual blindness. Second, he sends disciples to bear witness. And so Jesus could have spoken directly to Saul. He could have told him everything, voice from heaven, he needed to know, but he didn't. He deployed one of his disciples to go talk to Saul. He actually deployed one of the people that Saul was on the way to Damascus to arrest and take back to Jerusalem, this man named Ananias. And again, notice how Jesus is driving the, the action here. There's nothing coincidental about Saul's experience Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And then verse 12 concerned him quite a bit, and he has seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And that was concerning to Ananias, right? Because for all he knew, Saul would regain his sight, arrest him, and take him back to, to Jerusalem. So verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And Jesus in his patience, I mean, this, this gives us a little clue how he interacts with his disciples. In his patience, this is an honest fear, an honest concern. And so Jesus explains to him, is that he explains that uh, Saul would no longer be somebody who hunts down and causes to suffer people who call on the name of Jesus. No quite different. He will become a disciple who himself suffers for the sake of Jesus' name. Look how he says it, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so he isn't merely going to regain his sight. He's actually going to be given this assignment, this assignment to go pretty much to everybody, to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to his, his fellow Jews. And Saul, Jesus is going to tell him. He's what he told his disciples um, 
before his crucifixion. That's what he says to every one of his disciples, if we'll listen. He tells him, Saul, you're going to suffer for me. That is your calling. And Saul would suffer more than most. He would suffer the same ways he had made other Christians suffer. Imprisonment, stonings, and beatings. Jesus would restore Saul's sight. He would pour out the Spirit into his heart. He would give him this assignment, but he would not do this independent of his church, of his people. Jesus tells Ananias, go and speak with Saul and lay hands on him. And that's the plan. That's what Jesus still does. Jesus sends disciples to bear witness. And occasionally you'll hear a story of somebody who maybe they're in a remote place and they don't know any other Christians and God reveals himself to them in a vision or through the word directly. But the plan is for disciples to make disciples, people who have experienced Jesus to explain to others, this is who he is, this is how I've experienced him, this is how you can experience him as well. And that was my experience when I was a sophomore in college, and and most of you have heard this story before, but... When Stu Jay and Bob and Joel, these three, three other guys I knew, at, at, I was at University of Southern Mississippi at the time, but these three guys, when they invited me to play basketball on Friday afternoons, and then they invited me to hang out at their apartment, and then they invited me to join them in a Bible study, in my brain, I was not thinking, Jesus is sending me his disciples. Jesus wants me. <laughs> Jesus wants me to be his disciple. No, it's just, it was just the most natural thing. These guys befriended me. In a very real sense, they heard the voice of Jesus from heaven. They heard it through the scriptures, which said, you will be my disciples. You will be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. And so that's what they did. They befriended me. They lived uh, transparent lives before me. So I saw the way they lived. They narrated it for me. We talked about it. And because their lives matched up with the message that they preached, it was just absolutely compelling for me. It was, it was, it was the, at the time, it was the most natural, obvious thing for me to do, to believe in Jesus and start walking with him. And so, if you were a disciple, maybe you've never locked in on this, but when I think back about it, there's no doubt about it, through those three guys, Jesus was pursuing me. Okay, he sent them as much, every bit as much as he sent Ananias to Saul. And if you're a disciple, I don't know if you've ever locked in on this idea or this truth that you are a disciple because Jesus sent people to you. It might have been your parents. Never feel bad if you don't have a gutter to glory story, okay? If you never lived this, you don't have a past, you came to Christ when you were young. That's the will of God, okay? So if your parents shared Christ with you or a friend or somebody in your dorm or a coworker shared Christ with you, that's Jesus sending his disciples to you to to bear witness to you. You need to know that he wanted you to be a disciple. And please know that Jesus is sending you to bear witness to other people. And that's been the plan from day one. This may be a brand new way of thinking in your life, okay? And I would say, don't put a bunch of pressure on yourself to figure out exactly how it has to happen. Walk with Jesus. Have this this transparent life. Be willing to represent him in word and in deed. 
if you're a disciple. If you're not a disciple, and this may be just a weird idea to you, but I want you to consider the possibility that Jesus himself is currently, present tense, pursuing you through the Christians that you know, the people that are walking with Christ. And you may not see them this way now, but I pray that you see them one day the way that I see Stu J and Bob and Joel as sent from God as an act of, of mercy to share their lives with you and tell you how you can experience what they've experienced. And just, uh, I mean, think about this possibility. If, if Jesus himself wants to do this miraculous thing in your life, he wants to open your eyes and he wants you to follow him. You don't, you don't want to miss that. Trust me, you don't want to miss that. And so I would just encourage you, be open to this possibility. Uh, ask questions, be curious, um, be receptive to what they might want to share with you. Well, third, he not only opens our eyes, gives us spiritual, or, or uh, shows us our spiritual blindness, sends people to us, he also gives us sight, he gives us the Holy Spirit, and he gives us assignments. That's what he does. He, he turns us into disciples, and he does it uh, when we turn back to him in repentance and faith. What we have is a kind of a compressed account of Ananias' interaction with Saul. There are two other accounts in Acts. For extra credit, you can read in chapter 22 and chapter 26. It fills in a lot of, a lot of details. But we read here in verse 17, So Ananias departed, and he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, you ready for this? Brother Saul. <laughs> Can you imagine Saul at that moment? He's calling me brother, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you, who sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so regaining his sight spiritually, would, um, physically would coincide with him gaining his sight spiritually. He'd be given the gift of the Holy Spirit who would open his eyes so that more and more and more he would understand who Jesus is, who God is, who would lead him and empower him. Verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. And so you may have noticed here in this account, nothing is said about repentance. Nothing is said about faith. Now, what we find in the, in the book of Acts is that the, there's these three components of, of a con- person's conversion. Repentance, f- repentance, faith, and baptism. When you repent, you turn from your sin. When you uh, have faith, you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins. And then you're baptized as an expression of that. It's, a, it's an acted out parable of what's happened to you spiritually. F.F. Bruce made the famous statement that the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized believer. Once people believed, they were baptized. And so, but in Acts, not all three are, they're almost all three never mentioned. Sometimes it says, be baptized for washing away of your sins. Sometimes it says, repent and you will be saved. Sometimes it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so when one of the three is mentioned, the other two are implied. And that was certainly the case for Saul here. Verse 19, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And so clearly Saul is now a full disciple of Jesus. 
And as we'll see in the rest of chapter 9 next week, and we'll see in, in chapters 13 through 28 in coming months, that Saul would, he would live out this assignment to be this witness to Gentiles and their kings and fellow Jews. And so what Jesus does for, for, did for Saul, he does for every believer. Again, his circumstances were unique. His assignment was unique. But Jesus gives us sight. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And he gives us assignments. And whereas Saul's assignment was given up front, he was told at the time, this is your assignment. For most of us, our assignment, uh, whether it's our lifelong assignment or specific assignments, they become clear in real time as we walk with Jesus. And that was the case for me. And uh, again, most of you, if you've been here any length of time, you, you may have heard this. But, but when I came to Christ, I, I had this kind of superstitious idea about the Bible. It was a book you should read. And I did read it, a little bit of it, almost every night, no matter what I'd been doing that night. I just, you should read the Bible. And so I did that. It meant almost nothing to me. But after I came to Christ, I got in a Bible study. And, the, and then that's the thing that just flipped immediately. The, the Bible became this life-giving, nourishing word of God for me. I could not get enough, enough, enough of it. And the first book of the Bible I studied was Second, Second Timothy. And you do background study, right? Well, it turns out in Acts 16 that Timothy's mom is Jewish and his dad is a Gentile. Well, guess what? My mom is Jewish, and my dad's from Texas. That's very Gentile, okay? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm all ears here, Ross Perot, all ears. And so I, I, I get into this book, and just everything about it just worked for me. I'm just like, he was a young pastor in Ephesus. He was a little bit temper, a little sensitive, and just everything about it worked for me. And in retrospect, I look back, and honestly, I believe that, that God began making me into a pastor that first year studying 2 Timothy. He began that work in me. And so this has ended up being a life, lifetime assignment for me. It's not my only assignment. I have assignments in my family. I have assignments with, with uh, other situations that I'm in, friends that I have. But this is one of the core assignments in my life, and, and God revealed that to me. And it, it doesn't, and, and I hope you know this, this isn't, it isn't the case that he only gives assignments to people who are in vocational ministry. It's not the case. Every disciple has assignments. As a matter of fact, I talked to two people this, just this past week. They didn't use the word assignment, but they were basically saying, this is, there's this situation, and I know Jesus wants me to step into this. I know he wants me to be involved. He wants me to walk alongside these people. He wants me to speak this truth into this situation. And they both knew that it would be sacrificial. It would cost them something and that there would be suffering involved. And that's what Jesus does. He, he gives us the spirit for us and for our own edification building up, but also for the benefit of other people. And it usually involves suffering. And so I said at the first, I, I hope you, you leave this, you leave here today believing that Jesus is driving the action in your life. If you don't believe that, chances are you'll kind of bump around and you kind of, you know, wander through your life and say, yeah, God, I can't imagine God using me in really any significant way in anybody's life. And we tend to get really passive and we miss all sorts of opportunities. 
But if, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you understand that you were blind, but now you see, and you understand that Jesus sent disciples to you to bear witness to you because he wanted you as a disciple. And when you believed and repented and believed, he poured out his spirit upon you and he's given you gifts and he gives you assignments then you won't walk around anymore just looking at the ground. No, you'll raise up your eyes and you'll look and you'll see that there are opportunities here. There are people that I know. There are situations. God has given me wisdom. I'm not everything, but I'm something. And he gives me these assignments to walk into. And it will fill your life with anticipation, will fill your life with faith. That's Jesus' plan. He wants his disciples to walk with him and do what he wants them to do. He gives assignments, and he gives you everything you need for those assignments. Heavenly Father, we ask that this week, as disciples of Jesus, we might walk in faithfulness. We pray, God, that you would give us just a clear vision of how how, uh, deeply you want us to be your disciples. We're not a bother. We're not an afterthought. But God, you, you drove the, the action in our lives and you have drawn us to yourselves, yourself. And so we ask that this week we would walk, walk with faith. We would have anticipation about what you want us to do. We pray we'd be sensitive to the leadings, the promptings of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.